must come before other things that are less important. Otherwise, they will inevitably get neglected. Scott Sauls tweeted, The moralistic Pharisee says, I disregard you because you aren't as virtuous, as well-behaved, and as doctrinally grounded as I am. The grace Pharisee says, I disregard you because you aren't as kind, as accepting, and as inclusive as I am. God, please help us all. Tim Keller tweeted, The real gospel gives us a God far more holy than a moralist can bear and far more loving than a relativist can imagine. And finally, Andy Stanley tweeted, The more conscious I am of what God has yet to do in me, the less critical I am of what he has yet to do in others. Amen, Andy Stanley. Coop's Twitter top five tonight. I'm going to ask our ushers to come, and we will pray over and receive our offering, and as they wait on you this evening, we'll make a few announcements. I'm glad to be at Grace Church tonight. How about you? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here tonight. We thank you, Lord, that we can gather here together in freedom and in liberty. Lord, we thank you that we will hear your word and hear your word taught so that it can get down into our hearts and bear fruit in our lives. Lord, take this offering and bless it in your name. Everybody say in Jesus' name, amen. For all of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook Live tonight, thank you so much for being a part of Grace Church. Let me give you just a few announcements. First of all, we want to uh, remind you that on Saturday, November 3rd, our kids' cooking class will be in the A Center at 9 o'clock. So for those of you that have kids that you're trying to get to learn how to cook so you won't have to do as much, make sure you have them here for 9 a.m. I also want to mention, and we've made this announcement a couple of times now, but um, we've had a few incidents here on our Grace Church campus So if your Sunday school class offers coffee, we are all for you having coffee. But please enjoy your coffee in your classroom. Just a few other announcements. Um, You've already heard us mentioning this, but Friday and Saturday, November 9th and 10th, the called conference, our church is hosting this called conference. It's for um, young ministers or older ministers, anyone that feels called to the ministry. And uh, it's going to be a phenomenal time, but that's going to be Friday and Saturday, the 9th and 10th of November. And then on Sunday, November 11th, Brother Doug Kleindenst, who will be the special speaker for the called conference, will also be our guest speaker in our main worship service that morning. Brother Kleindenst, I've, I've heard him minister before. He's an outstanding preacher of the gospel, but he's also incredibly used in the gifts of the Spirit. And you will be blessed by being here. I encourage you to be here. And if you can, invite someone to come with you. It's something that you want to be a part of. And there's a lot going on. It's entering the holiday. We are entering the holiday season. A lot of things going on. So we encourage you to stay up to date with everything going on around Grace Church through the mobile app or through our, the events tab on our website. Amen. God bless you this evening as pastor comes. All conference coming up, not this weekend, but next. Um, you didn't, you need, do need to register online for that, and uh, that information is on the little flyer card on our bulletin board. So if you can remember, if you're going to be attending, to uh, go to the Eventbrite at that website, and uh, please register, and uh, we'll know how many to 
prepare for. So uh, real happy about that. I want to mention something here tonight to this group. I do realize that probably over half of Grace Church is somewhere else in the building. Uh, they're upstairs, they're across the parking lot, what have you. But I want to go ahead and mention this tonight, and then we'll promote again this coming Sunday. But um, uh, we have um, have made a little tweak in our kids' ministry leadership. Um, we have gone back to the way it was prior to uh, Dawson Bunch having to go to Memphis and so on. Sister Farrah Bunch is now our Sunday school coordinator on Sunday morning, and Sister Ethel is back over kids' ministry on Wednesday night. And i uh, very happy to make that announcement, and I want to applaud uh, Sister Ethel. She has done an amazing job doing both of those events on Sunday morning and Sunday night. I don't know if you have any idea of what that would be like, but it is quite a challenge. Uh, we have between 60 and 70 kids under the age of 11 or under the age of 12 here every Sunday and uh, making sure we have staff and all of that's uh, situated. Uh, Sister Ethel has done an amazing job, and I'm very thankful for her and her work. We'll again mention this Sunday. <clears throat> but uh, in meeting with the two of these fine ladies um, this past uh, Wednesday, uh, th this time last Wednesday, uh, we are in desperate need of Sunday school teachers. We, we need some folks to step up. Uh, we average between 60 and 70 kids, 11 and under, on Sunday morning, and we have six Sunday school teachers. I think now we're down to five. Uh, we need help, folks. We need help. And uh, uh, we'll mention this again Sunday. Uh, we are desperately needing to start a new class. Uh, we've got the room petitioned off upstairs. Brother Marty has helped us with that. It's almost completed. And um, we need to start actually a new, another Sunday school class. We need teachers. To be a teacher, you need to have gone through all four grace step, all four levels of grace steps. You need to have gone through our leadership session. And you do need to be faithful to Grace Church. And uh, periodically we have people that say, I'll teach, but they're not here, but maybe one or two Sundays a month. Well, I can't do that. I need folks to be here. And we don't just need teachers. We need helpers. If you could just help, you wouldn't be expected to teach if you could just help the teacher. Um, so either way, um, if you could let me know or... Sister Ethel, Sister Farrah, no. Uh, if you're available for that, we'd love to talk to you about it. So um, Sunday school is one of the, has been the, one of the most probably top two centerpiece uh, events at Grace Church since we started. Uh, even when the church was in Baker, we, we just believed in Sunday school. I believe in Sunday school. And uh, it's a great thing. It's not glorified daycare on Sunday. Our teachers teach. Uh, periodically, I'll walk down the hall and I stand outside the door. They don't know I'm there, and I probably shouldn't say this, but I listen to them. And I get excited, and my eyes fill up with tears. They poured hours into a Sunday school lesson, and they're, to the best of their ability, they're teaching your children and grandchildren the Word of God. They only have 45 minutes. 
a week. So you can't expect your kids to leave here every Sunday with this amazing knowledge of the Bible. You're going to have to teach them more at home. But they're giving it all they've got here on Sunday. And I love and appreciate our Sunday school teachers. So uh, you pray about it. If you can help us, we need the help. And um, uh, that's a a priority for us. And uh, we want to keep Sunday school rolling here at Grace Church. So please pray about it. Help us if you can. Um, Over the past several Wednesday nights, and and we've had um, an an, an interruption or two with with guest speakers, um, missionaries, what have you, but for the most part, and if I say the past Wednesday nights, I understand we've had a missionary or two. I'm not forgetting about that. But I began a trek, if you will, um, teaching on, um, I began with, a Bible study that I titled that I might know him if you've not seen it or heard it I'm going to plead with you to go and either listen to it or watch it on podcast and then I spent three Wednesday nights talking to you about what we believe uh, what the principles of holiness are and then last Wednesday night I introduced you to some of our um, things that we actually believe that we maintain for leadership here um If you've not seen any of those, I'm going to ask you to go and watch it on our podcast or listen to it. I'm following that series. I did that I might know him. And then I did three Bible studies on the principles of holiness. And then tonight I want to follow those Bible studies with what I'm going to call core values. There's actually three sets of values that I'll be talking about. And uh, I'm doing everything I know to contain myself because I know we have a lot of parents that are home tonight doing trick-or-treating. And you just set a bad precedent when you do that. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but moms and dads and grandparents here tonight, if you can help me, I don't think our kids ought to be applauded because they got a lot of candy. I think somebody needs to say something that you you should be in church. Go to Walmart and buy your kids some candy. I I had to let that out. I'm just sorry. But I'm looking around, and I I know who they are. Um, Anyway, probably shouldn't have said that, but I just had to let it out. Um, This is what I want people to hear. If there's going to be a church here 10 to 15 years from now, this is what you need to hear now and live it now. You don't wait till your kids are 15, 16, 17 years old and they're haywire and they're doing all kind of crazy things and then decide we want them living for God. You start it now. So let's begin. Uh, Core values. Core values means, number one, attitudes and beliefs thought to um, uniquely pattern a culture. As we know, our country is insanely divided on core values. Number two, core values is a basic framework you can use to understand and analyze simple beliefs or rules about your family, your church, or company, what what it represents and how how it practices. Core values is operating philosophies or principles that guide an organization's internal conduct as well as its relationship with the external world. 
Core values are usually summarized in a mission statement or in the statement of core values, depending on whether it be church or corporation and so on. Core values is a distinctive set of core beliefs by which we measure our priorities in life. Core values is a distinctive set of core beliefs by which we measure our priorities in life. Number five, many of our core values did not originate with ourselves, but were given to us by others along the way, particularly people who preceded us. Core values show up in the form of life values. It shows up in a person's convictions. It shows up in their list of personal and family and spiritual priority. Core values determine how we live our life, how we set our priorities and ethics. Core values determine our level of character and decency. So before I jump into uh, these three sets of values, which the other two are personal values and traditional values, before I get to uh, traditional values is what I'll talk about tonight. Next Wednesday night, I'll talk to you about personal values and core values. For Grace Church, I want to make a statement. We're all a part of a movement here at Grace Church, and a movement that is no longer moving becomes a monument. We have to keep moving and stay vision updated. If we don't, the clock will replace the compass and we'll sit around discussing where we've been instead of where we're going. Some people make maps, some people print maps, and others explore new frontiers. And we're going somewhere with this church that it has never been before and to places in the church arena that the majority of good church-going people will never go. But we're not going to do these things at the expense of our core values. I do not want our church to become a closed system. In a closed church, you cease ministry out of imagination and start doing it out of memory. You stop creating the future and start repeating the past. You stop leading and start managing. We must never here at Grace Church, stop thinking outside the box. We must continue reading and learning. People who want to become leaders are learners. Read what you like and don't like. Learn what God and the world are thinking and create an atmosphere where both can come together to accomplish genuine growth and revival. Everybody say amen. There were two fellows that lived next door to each other. And one of the, each one of them had their own chicken yards, complete with hens and roosters. And one of these fellows' little boy got a white football for Christmas and accidentally kicked it in the neighbor's chicken yard. The old rooster ran over and looked at it and gathered all the hens around it and said, Now girls, I'm not complaining. But I just want you to know what the competition next door is putting out. We can learn from a lot of sources. Listen to Pastor tonight. I want everybody to be nervous. I don't want anybody to be nervous over where we get material, where we get visionary ideas, 
don't want anybody to get nervous about that. I've been very clear about that. We can learn from a lot of sources and we can cross-pollinate with a lot of different visions and thoughts and ideas, but not at the expense of our values. To be visionary means sometimes being criticized. Being visionary means sometimes being criticized. Vision usually means working from an unestablished comfort zone. People will oftentimes feel insecure when this happens. In the summer of 2009, Brother T.F. Tenney visited with the television evangelist that we all know, Oral Roberts. And he asked Oral Roberts, how do you survive criticism? Everybody hear me tonight. Oral Roberts responded by saying, listen to it and see if it's valid. Number two, take it to God in prayer. Number three, do not retaliate. And that's advice I want to give to all of Grace Church here tonight. The reason I mention this is because when you step out to do something fruitful for the kingdom, there will always be someone to either criticize or try to diminish your effort. In the process of trying to fulfill vision, you cannot sacrifice your values for progression, growth, etc. Numbers, accomplishments, all of these things are never a replacement for our values. You cannot diminish yourself in the process of trying to build someone or something else up. Listen to pastor tonight. The first generation generates. And I feel like when we moved to this building and we embraced some huge, major, visionary ideas and concepts that we have introduced and will continue to introduce to Grace Church, uh, we've moved a little bit away from some of it this year. We're going to try to, we, we, we are not going to try, we're going to move Grace Church back uh, to a, a, a better place. Uh, I'm in the process of doing that right now, is why I'm doing what I'm doing on Wednesday night. But that first generation of people, that first group, if you will, not generation, but that first group that went to grow, came back all excited. And um, uh, we've had other groups that go, that has gone. I'm wondering how well we're going to be able to pass down our principles, our vision, uh, our concepts, our ideas to the generation coming. The generation coming on the scene behind us is millennials. And uh, we're taking steps right now to start working with that. But the first generation generates. The second generation motivates. The third generation speculates. And the fourth generation dissipates. This is biblical. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, the Bible said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day. And you shall soon utterly perish from off the land whereunto you go over Jordan to possess it. You shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. This is talking about the group that did not go into the land of Canaan. One translation said, you lose your freshness. Folks, we cannot allow this to happen at Grace Church. We're going to be visionary. We're going to try things. We're going to do things outside the box. Believe it or not, we are still a very traditional church. Even though we do things that are very progressive, that are very modern, 
Uh, I've been asked, I've been challenged to just lighten up on preaching and become more progressive. I can't give up the way I preach. You just, you're asking me to give up my calling and I just can't do it. I, I just cannot be one of these little progressive light-hearted, fluffy preachers that just tells everybody what they want to hear and make you feel good about it when you leave. I've been called to preach the Word of God, and that's what I'm going to do. Everybody say amen, and thank you for that. Power is not received when you receive the Word of God. Power is received when you release the Word of God, and that's what we try to do through the number of different vehicles we use here at Grace Church to release our vision. Blessing is God pouring in. Power is when you release it. Power is not hearing the Word of God. Power comes when you release it. We must learn how to tap into the power of the book of Acts and learn how to release apostolic power. Lord willing, I'll talk to you about that Sunday. We must define here at Grace Church what will not And cannot change. Which is hugely the purpose of what I'm doing here tonight. What I'm beginning here tonight. The way we have come to conduct church services has changed over the years. To the chagrin of some. To the gladness of others. But the song leader has changed into a praise team. The hymnal has been replaced with the words on the wall. Public prayer requests have been changed to sending them to a website or writing them down on a piece of paper. And here at Grace Church, again to the chagrin of some and the gladness of others, the gladness of pastors especially, testimony service has all been but terminated. Yes, methodology has changed here at Grace Church, but our values have not changed. I want everybody to take note of that. Our values have not changed. So again, there's three levels of values that I'll be presenting to you. Tonight I want to talk to you about traditional values. But number one, there's core values, there's traditional values, and there's personal values. I'll talk about core values and personal values next Wednesday night. But on the list of core values, not all of them, but most of them, our core values are, there is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Everybody say amen. Amen. We're not changing. We believe in repentance, water baptism by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. We believe in the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. We believe in the infallibility of the Bible. We believe in the fruit of the Spirit. We believe in holy and righteous living. I just taught the past three Wednesday nights on that subject. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and I'm thankful that they're in operation at Grace Church. We believe that heaven and, and, and heaven and hell eternally. We believe in the rapture. We believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We believe in preaching the whole gospel to the whole world without prejudice. We believe in morality and decency. We believe in family and wholesomeness. And the list goes on. But this is at least 14 things that remain a part of our core values. It is an absolute necessity for everyone here at Grace Church to have your own core values for your home, for your family, and for you as a person. And I want to stress again here tonight, Grace Church shouldn't support your values. Your values should be in alignment 
with what Grace Church teaches. Your core values is determined and portrayed by your character and conduct. It determines who you are and reputation. Core values determine your degree of honesty and integrity. Again, I'm going to come back to core values. I'm going to leave it and we'll come back to it next Wednesday night. But tonight I want to talk to you for a little while about traditional values and explain to you why there are certain things that we do that I'm not necessarily interested in changing some of these things. But I want you to understand what I'm about to present to you is not necessarily chapter and verse, either explicit or implicit. They're just traditional values. It's things that's been handed down. It's things that through the years has been proven to work. And if it's not broke, don't fix it. An example of traditional values begins this way. It's starting church on Sunday morning. For some churches between 10 and 11, we start at 10 o'clock. The reason we do that is because in the early 1900s, most of the people that attended church back in those days were rural farmers. And they had to get up and harvest eggs and milk cows. They couldn't get to church earlier than that. So they all agreed. We're all done with our chores of making, uh, milking cows and gathering up eggs from the chickens. And we can be there at 10 o'clock. They couldn't get there any earlier than that. So they started church at 10 o'clock. It's traditional. And it's okay. They started church at 7 p.m. on Sunday nights because the folks had to get home in time to do more chores before bedtime. So they wanted to get out early enough that they could get home and do a few more chores before they went to bed. Society and culture back then set the time based on what they could live with. And it became a tradition, and it's okay. God ain't that rigid. I preach all the time that the gospel works in every culture. And the same God shows up whether you start church at 10 o'clock, at 9.30, 9.45, 10.30, or 11. It doesn't matter. I'm not trying to bewail what time we start church. There's a principle here that I want you to understand. Sunday night church is a tradition. It's not biblical. It's a tradition. Back in the early 1900s, those folks would come to church. It was hard for a lot of them to get there. Some of them had to walk. Others came on horseback or came in a wagon. So they would bring their dinner to church with them or their lunch with them. Hence where dinner on the ground came from. And they would stay all day at church. They'd eat, visit and fellowship for a little while. And then they'd have church again. They would stay at church all day. Over a process of time, they quit bringing their lunch to church. And what do you know? The Sunday night service was born. They would go home, eat lunch. Everybody would eat lunch separately on their own nickel, on their own time, and what have you. But they would come back to church for around seven, 6 or 7 o'clock that night. It was a tradition. Midweek service, what we're doing right now, is a tradition. This isn't biblical. It's a tradition. It was thought in the mid-1900s 
that it was just too long to go from Sunday to Sunday without being in church. So the midweek service was born. I grew up in the first church, as you all know, and I remember when Wednesday night was called midweek manna. That's what they called it. You got a little extra bread on Wednesday night to last you till this coming Sunday. And that was the point, and it became Bible study. It's not Bible, but tradition, and we accept it. Traditional values are things people believe, not because it's biblical nor scriptural. It's traditional. There are pastors, and I'm hesitant to mention this because I always open a can of worms, but I'm I'm not afraid of it. But, uh, for example, there's pastors who teach against men having facial hair. I don't know why I said men having facial hair. Is there any other people that can? (laughs) However, I've seen a few grandmas that I'd like to introduce to Gillette. (laughs) It ain't a lot, but it's just enough to merit (laughs) feeling what we men feel. But to my knowledge, there's no scripture explicit or implicit against it. Now, what I teach at Grace Church, if you men want to have facial hair, I ask you not to do it on the platform. And if you do do it, we're not trying out for the Duck Dynasty television series. And I judge that. And I have asked some of our men, you need to scale it back. You're making me nervous. You make other people nervous when you approach them because they can't see who they're talking to. They see this big bush of... So let's trim it up. Let's look nice. Y'all feel me? We have one. I hope the rest of you are on board with that. It's a traditional value. The reason people teach against it is because there were times in our recent history when facial hair on a man represented rebellion or followed after the pattern of some individual who was less than popular, or because it represented an undesirable trend. It's okay. I know a man that was highly used in church and wanted a beer, and the pastor said no, so he just set out. And it cost the church because the man wanted a beer. He sat in the back and pouted, whatever. And about a year later, he got his fill of necessity of having a beard, and he shaved it off and started doing what he was doing before. I mean, it was just a huge waste of time, just a whole bunch of jumping through hoops for nothing. But I understand why men, my pastors, would teach against it, and I'm not going to rail on them for that. That's their conviction, but it's a traditional thing. There's nothing wrong with abiding by traditional values, but they are not heaven or hell issues, and we can't put them in that bracket. I got a little response on that one. I, I feel proud. I'm feeling better already. Finally got some response. Even though it's not a biblical commandment, for a lot of people it's a time test of tradition and one that a lot of folks feel that they should maintain. So a lot of people, and here's the confusion, at least in the United Pentecostal Church and probably in a lot of other apostolic organizations, and even, even other denominations, people have been taught traditional values as though they are biblical values and it causes a lot of confusion and bother when people realize the difference most of our traditional values won't send you to hell when disobeyed listen to pastor 
But when they are disobeyed, it can sure set your sails in the wrong direction. And that's why there's just some traditional values that we're not going to let go of. They're not heaven or hell issues. But they will lead your life into an arena of living that will be heaven or hell issues. I'll point that out in just a moment. There are a number of people I know that have learned this lesson the hard way. Did you know that in the 1940s and 50s that preachers preached against playing golf? That to play golf you would be hanging out with rich people in worldly country clubs and it was a bad atmosphere. No place for Christian men. I remember hearing Brother Tenney in the 60s and 70s at the campground railing on preachers who would bring their golf clubs to camp meeting and play golf during the day. You fellas need to put them golf clubs up and be in church. I remember that. So these, there are things that, we, that, that were put in me as a person growing up that were not a sin. But if I were to start doing them, there was a strong possibility that it would head me off in a wrong direction. This is what bothers me when we have young Christian families at Grace Church that, that do things against tradition. You're setting a precedent. And it will lead you in the wrong direction. I'm, I'm, I'm going to hit on that in just a moment. It's traditional values. And what we don't understand about traditional values is traditional values are literally wisdom. These are time-tested things. And I teach and preach similar values today, not because they're heaven or hell issues per se, but because these values are a safety net. They're guardrails. Would to God we could understand it. I would to God our younger families could understand it. In 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Paul said, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught either by word that is orally or by our epistle, which was in writing. So Paul is talking about things both written and things oral. He was talking about traditions, about those things that have been passed down. People have developed a show me that in the Bible mentality. Actually, it's gone a step further. They say, show me that in the Bible. So I do. And then they go on living like they want to live anyway. Don't matter if the Bible says it or not. But these things that I'm talking about right now, a lot of them are oral traditions. And they're, not, again, not necessarily heaven or hell issues, but things we have become culturally comfortable with and see the merit and wisdom of continuing in them. And it's okay. Do you know a slab of rock was unearthed that was in ancient Babylon years ago that said, Alas, alas, things are not what they once, once were. People have always talked about the way things used to be. This slab of rock that was dug up was dug up some 3,000 years ago in ancient Babylon. Did you hear about the girl who got married and cooked a ham? And before she dropped it in the pot, she cut off both ends of it. She didn't know why she did it. It was a family tradition. Her mother did it, her grandmother did it, and come to find out her great-grandmother did it, but her great-grandmother did it because her pot was too small and she had to cut off both ends of the ham to make it fit in the pot. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. 
It's a tradition, and there's nothing wrong with it. You never listen. If, if, if you folks could ever understand anything about Christianity, understand this. You never move a fence. Speaking of gospel, speaking of the word of God, speaking of church, speaking of traditions, you never move a fence until you find out who put it there and why. Secondly, you never put a gate where God put a fence. And you never put a fence where God put a gate. Would to God we could understand that. We all live by traditional values in one way or another. And listen, the only reason we don't get married, standing in front of a dog catcher, wearing a red and white polka dotted dress and suit, and exchanging rings instead of dead chickens, is because of tradition. Why do brides wear white? Because of tradition. Why does she stand before a preacher to get married? Tradition. We have traditions that we do and respect whether we understand them or not. And the church has oral traditions that are not heaven and hell issues. Let me give you some Bible here tonight. Did you know that the book of Acts church, that is the Jews, lifted the requirement of male Gentiles being circumcised but have not done it to themselves to this day. Why? Because of oral tradition. They said it's okay for male boys to be circumcised that converted in the book of Acts, but not Jewish boys. Not because it was a sin, but because of an oral tradition. Paul taught the proper relationship between a master and a slave. Did you know that? Paul taught the master of a slave how to be a Christian and taught the slave how to be a Christian. Y'all don't look at me in that tone of voice. I'm giving you Bible. History says that almost 50% of the world then was in slavery to the other 50%. There were people in the church, in the Book of Acts church, that owned slaves and treated them accordingly. The book of Philemon is a story of this very issue. We do not believe in slavery today in any form. But back then, it was a traditional and cultural problem in the church that Paul had to deal with. He understood the tradition of slavery and taught things to make it work, knowing that while it was not the will of God, it would have destroyed so many people's lives to have tried to stop it. Buddy, if y'all could just stand where I'm standing right now and look at what I'm looking at. You're listening, and I thank you for that. This is Bible. Whether you go home and read Philemon. Y'all remember that story? Philemon pastored a church, and he owned a slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus escaped and went to one of Paul's tent revivals and got converted. And Paul found out that he was Pastor Philemon's slave and sent him back. And wrote Philemon a scathing letter 
that you need to tighten up, dude. You claim to be a Christian. You need to treat your slave better than you're treating him. Okay, he stole something from you. Grow up, forgive him, and get over it. That wasn't the will of God, but it was their culture. There's a lot of stuff in our culture that I ain't kosher with, but we have to deal with it. And we have to deal with it when it comes into our church. The the establishment of an apostolic church is always messy. Y'all can turn that clock off back there. I'm not stopping on this one until I get through it. So They're showing me I have a minute and 30 seconds. That ain't going to happen. Speaking of tradition. I think they've cut me back to like 14 minutes. How much time are y'all giving me, Nathan? Is it like 10 minutes or something on Wednesday night? 40? There's been no 40 minutes. (laughs) Tradition. It's killing me right now. (laughs) I love our production booth people. They know I'm teasing. Traditional values are always a challenge. But we must understand why they are there. We must understand why they are there and what will happen if we remove them. And trust me, there's a lot of pastors who've done away with traditional values and now they're regretting it. And next Wednesday night, I'll tell you why. Most of our traditional values teach us discipline and submission, something along this line. To be humble around your superior is duty. To be humble around your peer is courteous. To be humble around your inferior is noble and of high honor. And God oftentimes will test our humility and submission just to see what we will do. And tradition is a great way for him to do it. So there's a lot of merit in showing respect for what the old timers did and believed. Paul said, or or the book of Acts said, excuse me, in 15 verse 19, Wherefore my sentence is... That we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. This is James speaking here. And he's talking about Gentiles that had turned to God. But was caught between the progression of the church and the traditional values of the old timers. And he taught the church. And you ought to read Acts 15. They got messy with each other. I mean they almost went fist to cuff. Let's take this out in the parking lot and we'll we'll settle it. And it was Gentiles converting. And these stiff-necked self-righteous Jews didn't know what to do with it. What are we going to do with all these people that believe all these heathenistic things that dance around idols and wear all that ridiculous jewelry and they've, they've blasphemed the name of God and all that. Now they're receiving the Holy Ghost and they want to be like us and they don't even circumcise their, their babies. What are we going to do with them? It was a knockdown drag out in Acts 15. In verse 20, James went on to say, but that we write unto them, this is what we're going to put on them. We're not going to put on them the full, the full content of the law of Moses. We're not going to do that. We're going to teach them that they should abstain from pollution of idols. They need to quit fornicating. They need to stop fooling with stuff that's been strangled. And they need to be careful how they handle blood. That's what we're going to teach them. To start. I know some of you folks here tonight, if we, if we were faced with a similar issue, you're like, I ain't doing that. I ain't going to fool them people. Just tell them to find another church to go to. We're going to keep our church clean and pure and holy. The apostolic faith has always been messy. 
the anointing is messy. One of the most prolific stories in the Bible is when Aaron was anointed to be priest, and the Bible said they all ran down his beard. It happened to David. It ran down his beard and down his garments and down his back and got everywhere. It got all messy. They didn't do the little dab and deep. They poured it. Church growth, whether it involves people and new people, both churched or unchurched people, it's always messy. And we need to understand that as Grace Church people. You're not going to get brand new people in here and shove them into a mold and say, now we can use them. Don't work that way. No, it doesn't. That's why I ask some of you when it comes to folks, pastor does best I can to handle them. And if I need your help, I'll ask you. If I don't ask you, that means I don't need it. So keep your dumb mouth shut. So anyway, but what he was saying is we're going to teach them about things that applies to us Jews out of respect to what our elders believe in the form of traditional values. It wasn't a heaven or hell issue. It's just respecting traditional values. He went on to say, For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogue every Sabbath day. So they took the ban off circumcision. But he knew if he opened the gate completely on the Gentiles that he would destroy uh, some things with the Jewish people and the trade-off wasn't worth it. So out of respect to those old, hardcore, very traditional old-timers, Moses of old is read, he said. It's traditional values. It's things that the cross did away with. But the old-timers couldn't see it that way. He said in Acts 15, verse 27, We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And preachers and pastors all over the world in our modern-day culture is misinterpreting and misapplying this Scripture. Well, we don't have to have holiness standards anymore. That is not what it said. They were The old Jewish people did not believe what the book of Hebrews taught, that, that Jesus did away with a lot of the ceremonial things they believed when he died on the cross and the veil was rent in twain. That went away. But some of these old Jewish old-timers didn't believe that. So James said, okay, we're going to ask some of these new Gentile converts to abide by some of our traditions to please the old-timers and to make them happy. These are time-tested things of wisdom. It didn't hurt the Gentiles to do it. It didn't make them any more or less saved. They just did these things to appease the old-timers. And there's things we do here at Grace Church that appeases me because now I'm old. Talk about old-timers like I'm 20 years old. I feel like I are one. But there's just some things that old Pastor Murphy just can't let go of. And I get yanked on and I get pulled around sometimes by some of our younger folks that says, Pastor, come on now, you know, if we just romp, romp, romp this and romp, romp, romp that. Uh, I've had two or three people say, if you'll drop holding the standards, this church would triple. I'm not after numbers. I'm after a church that God can rapture. That's what I'm after. I want to hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what I'm after. So let me hurry on. He, James said, for it seemed good. 
and went on to say that some burdens are necessary. And I feel the tension, again, I feel the tension today, but I also know what's at stake. And you'll notice that James was talking about eating blood. (laughs) I sat down with somebody several years ago at Ryan's Steakhouse. Yummy. Okay, then, I'll do it back. Y'all ever heard of Ryan's? Looking at me like, what's that? I ain't never heard of that. We were eating at Ryan's one time, and the person I was with ordered a steak, and he told him just go and put it on a plate. I'm not exaggerating. It was sitting in about a quarter inch of blood when they brought that thing to the table, and he ate every bite of it. He would have offended, oh, those traditional Jews. When I went to Israel in 1999, I was starving to death, and finally on the last day we were there, I found a place that served pizza, but you couldn't get meat on it. You can't mix meat and cheese. And then I sat at a green table, and some Jewish somebody hollered at me, you cannot eat that at that table. You go to the white table. So I had to get up from the green table and go to the white table. I'm like, look, dude, I'm hungry. Just let me eat, okay? I'll sit on the ground if you want me to. Just leave me alone. But, but to appease the elder, I got up and moved. Y'all understand me? To help things and people get along, sometimes you have to bear some things that you may or may not deem necessary. But in Acts 18, 18, Paul shaved his head to keep peace. And it was the same Paul that wrote in Galatians 5, 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Sometimes you do things that will appease the people. It's not heaven or hell, but to keep peace. Any of you men that's been married for more than a year, have you learned that yet? Bunch of babies won't say a word. How about you? Boy, he's being so careful right now. Poor brother, he don't know what to say. (laughs) I'm having a good time here tonight. But again, he did it to bring peace. Notice grace is a wonderful thing. But when it becomes a disgrace, we're all in trouble. I don't have much further to go. We have a bureau of weights and measures, but it's not the U.S. Constitution. It's not in our Constitution. And I don't need guardrails to drive on the highway, but I don't want to drive on the highway that doesn't have them. That's why we have standards in our church. We do have minimums. There are some standards in the church that may not be heaven or hell issues, but they are guardrails. They are protectors. They keep you from going too far to the left or to the right. I've yet to see anyone who has taken away traditional values and have their life improve because of it. I've yet to see it. As a matter of fact, I know of some who have had their lives go down all the way to drugs, alcohol, cheating on their spouse, immorality, and their lives end up in shipwreck and ruin. Why? It started when they did away with traditional values. I can name you people here tonight. Well, it won't hurt to get rid of this, Brother Murphy, and it won't hurt to get rid of that. That's why I'm saying that once you set a precedent of the smallest thing, you're open, you've opened the door. And two years from now, you don't even recognize who you are. Five years from now, you're no longer married. 
10 years from now, you can't get your kids to come to church. And people don't see that. I talk about that often. Uh, a pastor said here a while back that people do dumb stuff and, and what have you. And against the whole entire time, the pastor preaching, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then when it's all a big mess, they come back and want the pastor to fix it. If you listen to start with, neither you nor me would be in this place. I have leadership standards, and I am determined to do the best I can to keep them where they are. And I ask our people in leadership to do them. Some are not essential Bible teaching, but they're guardrails, they're safety nets. If I don't have them in place in five years from now, you won't recognize Grace Church. You know, Jephthah made a vow that his daughter would be a virgin for life. She didn't have to honor that commitment, but she did it to honor her father and her heritage. The psalmist said, the lines, the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places, yea, I have a godly heritage. Lines are there to protect us, not to unnecessarily restrain us. Lines are not offensive, they are protectors. We always ask why. I've never heard anyone say my life was a wreck until I started drinking and doing drugs or having an affair with somebody and then it got better. Everything we believe doesn't always make sense, but God has always said and done things that didn't make sense. He planted a beautiful garden for Adam and Eve and put a prohibitive tree right in the middle of it. Why didn't he put the tree on the outside of the garden and put an electric fence around it? In Deuteronomy 22, God said, you can't plow with an ox and an ass. He said, men and women can't mix clothing. He said, you can't mix certain fabrics. He said, if you own a small piece of ground, you can't mix the seed. It doesn't make sense to us, but to God, it was a distinctive mark. But to us, it's a discipline thing. There are things in the Old Testament, and I'm finished, that were capital crimes and some things that were consecration, consecration issues. There, there were about 30 things that were capital crimes in the law of Moses, such as murder and adultery, but there were hundreds of other laws that were consecration issues. We don't make capital offenses out of everything, and, and, and it's difficult to get people to see it that way. Some things have to be weighed out on a merit basis, and that's oftentimes, most of the time, the way I choose to pastor. And I get weary with church people who say, well, so-and-so's doing so-and-so, and so-and-so did so-and-so, and you ain't doing nothing about it. You don't know what I'm doing. And there are some people that, as pastor, I'll jerk them around and say, hey, stop that right now or else. There's other people, I'll give them three or four years to stop something. I just take it on a merit-by-merit merit basis, and I follow the Holy Ghost the best I can. And I've saved a lot of people. I didn't save them, but I salvaged their relationship with God because of it. And there's some folks here tonight because of it. Let pastor pastor, okay? We need to understand that traditional values are not biblical values. But they're a safety net. It's a guardrail. And we need to have them there. And with the help of God, this pastor is going to have them there. Again, I get pulled on often to won't you let that go and let this go and let that go and man, we could do this and we could do that. Not at the expense of our values. Not at the expense of our values. I told someone, if you don't like this church the way it is, don't let the door hit you in the back when you leave. I'm that adamant about it. Don't expect me to change my style of preaching. 
Don't expect me to only teach parts of the Word of God and leave the other part out. Don't expect me to become something that God has not called me to be. Can't do that. And a lot of things we do here are tradition, but we do it for a reason. And hopefully your kids and grandkids will grow up in an amazing church environment like you attend right now. And if the pastor that follows me, whoever that is, will do the same thing, we'll have a great church here in Central. But if you don't, we'll be like the long list of churches that dwindle down to nothing or they multiply into thousands of people, but there's no values. There's no more Bible. We all know the very popular televangelist that pastors one of the largest churches in America. Somebody did a survey and an inventory of his sermon notes and that little three-letter word that starts with G, G-O-D, is found very in very few of them. Hardly ever mentioned. Hardly any Bible scriptures. Yeah, it has a great big church, but he never mentions Jesus, and he don't mention the blood, and he don't mention Calvary, and he don't mention heaven or hell. It just gives people a big puff of cotton candy when they walk in the church, and that's what they leave with every Sunday. We can't do that here. I've got to be real with God, and I have to be real with you. Core values. Everybody say thank the Lord for the word. And I'm done at 8.30. That is, that's pretty amazing. Next Wednesday night, I won't have as much material. So uh, hopefully we we'll, might be out a little bit earlier Wednesday night. But anyway, I've appreciated and valued this time with you. And if you know folks, see folks that wasn't here, would you ask them to, you need to go to podcast and hear what Pastor taught Wednesday night. And this is only half of it. We'll do the other half next Wednesday night. So um, do you all enjoy being dismissed from a seating sitting position is that is that cool or, or do y'all have to stand up see traditional values do you have to stand up to be dismissed so uh, i mean if you you don't stand up anyway so it's up to, if half of you do and half of you anybody wants to stand up and be dismissed you can the other half can be dismissed i don't want to get on anybody's traditional thing here it's not a heaven or hell issue i'm glad we're ending on a little lighter note so god bless you you're dismissed we'll see you sunday morning come to worship come expecting this coming Sunday morning. God bless you.